Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today is Becca, because the ad doctor is taking a staycation at the new Peak Pad, and I think they're visiting a water park as I think well. So, so too. Yeah. I hope they're having a blast, but... I got some sad news, Becca. Uh-oh. This is what? the end of summer. The end of summer is here. I know it no. feels like August just started. Yeah. But, uh, that means kids are going back to school soon. You better gar- start getting those supplies ready. Um, I-, I get excited about it because I love fall is my favorite <laughs> season. I like it better than summer. Um, but yeah, it's officially over. So just wanted to kick off the show with that happy, happy thought. Oh. <laughs> Enjoy the last few days it's, <laughs> it's it's winding down all right well, on over to story time and i'll start off by something a little bit different i was offered the illustrious opportunity to be part <laughs> of forbes.com that's that place where all these thought leaders share and impart their wisdom have you seen those before yeah yeah they're they're everywhere like forbes fast company uh, there's a couple other ones where like I don't know if anyone actually reads the magazines anymore, but you just see article after article all over your feed uh, on any social network. They just seem to pump them out. And part of how they're doing that is with these Forbes contributors and panel members. They've got a couple different things, but they reached out with this awesome email and were like, congratulations, you've been nominated to be part of uh, Forbes.com. And I get on a call (laughs) with this lady so I was like, I just, I'm just curious. I want to, I want to know what the inside of this looks like. And of course the person who scheduled, who has some high up title, couldn't make it at the last minute. So this other person said, do you mind if I talk to you? And they were just totally reading off a script. Like you could uh, tell the computer screen said like, read this and then hit which button they say yes, no, or other. And it would just tell her what to say again. And so it was just, it was like 15 of the most numbing, mind-numbing minutes of my life of, so Kevin, would you find value in being part of Forbes.com? Okay, great. Now, Kevin, have you ever written content before? Okay, great. Now, I was just like, ah, uh, I just want to get, get to it. But essentially, yeah. for the low, low, low price of a couple thousand dollars, um, I can pay to become a contributor <laughs> to, <laughs> to them. So that really, at the end of the day, while there certainly has to be some minimal qualification, I took it as like, okay, Kevin, we've already gone through as many people related to real estate or new homes as we can, and they haven't bought yet. So there's a spot open for you. (laughs) And I guess if you were a one person shop or you didn't have someone like Thais on your staff who can help you with content or writing, you know, they do offer editing services. And, but I just thought it was really interesting how, I mean, we all kind of knew because of of what we see that there's probably more to it. Yeah. But I wouldn't have guessed that that they were actually charging money for that privilege in many cases. And I'm not saying all of the people who currently do this are, but I just thought that was that was interesting. Did it feel like a credit card when you got started? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it did. It very much. Exactly the same tone of voice, scripted conversation. One of the interesting things, though, that they do is they're like, now, Kevin, sometimes we understand you don't have a lot of time. And so we will send you a prompt of a topic. And if you contribute, you know, just like three or four sentences to that topic, you could be chosen to have your thoughts added to another editorial piece that someone else is writing. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, how much is that anyway, cost? <laughs> there, there's real no moral to the story. I'm not saying people should or shouldn't do it. I just thought it was interesting. And you guys would find it interesting to see a little yeah. bit behind the curtain of sometimes what thought leaders have going on in their life. And spoiler, I'm not signing up. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's one way to offset advertising changes and magazines. Right. Well, what's funny is, you know, you're spending thousands of dollars to do that. They're maybe helping you write the content, but then most of how they're getting their reach is through sponsored posts as well. So if you were a content creator and you had good content and good thoughts to share, 
spending that thousand, a couple thousand dollars on yourself yeah. would probably get you the right attention from a better audience at the end of the day, I think. I think so too. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. What about you, Becca? So I was working with a client this week, one of several, <laughs> <laughs> and we were working on an event. And while well, this one was kind of a quick turnaround time, so we decided to send the ad to a blog post instead of a landing page. And part of that was turnaround time. And part of it was this particular event was something that we kind of wanted to keep on the website. So there'd always be a record of it. So I guess. Yeah. So, really, so step one, yeah. when you're building an ad, you've got to send it somewhere. So we yeah. could have just made a Facebook event and tried to run the ad against that and got the, mm. you know, yes, maybe no kind of stack up, but you know, a lot about two years ago or more, Andrew and I kind of officially said those are dead because 90% of the time you get three people interested, one coming, and it's kind of a, wah, 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 you know, anticlimactic social proof of how important this event is going to yeah. be. So we got to send it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you generally would have a preference of where you'd send traffic for an event, I imagine. Yeah. I prefer to send them to a landing page with a RSVP form. So they have to put in their information and send it right over to your CRM. Yeah. But sometimes that doesn't work out. Yeah. So in this case, they wanted the event to be promoted like that afternoon. Yeah. And not that you couldn't whip together a landing page that quickly, but it might not be perfect. It might be kind of fast. And also you may just not have the opportunity to do it if you're trying to do this on your own. And so yeah, the idea came to, you know, one, we got to make sure it's on the site somewhere, yes. no matter what, right? Yeah. Uh, because while the ad is going to drive traffic, you also have thousands of people coming to your site who didn't click on the ad and still should be able to be aware of that event happening. Yeah. If so, they don't know about it, they can't come. No, they definitely can't. And we also could have just used a sticky bar or a pop-up yeah. as well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we ended up doing what? Um, we did a blog post with a link that says RSVP here that would capture names and phone numbers and emails. And the ad went straight there. And I think in this case too, did they did they end up using Evite or some other service to kind of... Yeah. So it was, was eBright, I think. Okay. Yeah. So blog post about the event, which is good because it'll live there forever on that community's page. It could show in as dynamic content potentially sometime in the future. Lots of good other benefits of that. I think generally we want to do a blog post and a landing page for that reason. Landing page yeah. for more conversions, blog post for better organic reach and, and sticking around for a longer time. But sometimes when you're, when you're pressed for time, a blog post can work. Use that, especially if you have a WordPress site. Oh my goodness, right? The ability to just throw up another <laughs> yes. blog post as a quote-unquote landing page is a great little hack that, that can make your life easier in a pinch. Yes. Awesome. And we also, for the first time, have a voicemail. Remember, Yay. you can call in and leave a voicemail with questions, comments on the week's episode and anything else that you would like to share your thoughts on. That number is 404-369-2595. Now, this caller is someone we know. I'll tell you who afterwards, but let's go ahead and play that voicemail. Hi, my name is Susie Homemaker, and I am so excited to come to the summit in Chicago this year. And I'm wondering what the theme night is going to be. I loved the 80s night last year and I'm already shopping for this year's summit and I just need to know what to buy. Hope you guys talk about it. Can't wait to see you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that cracks me up. So that was uh, Lindsay Peak, the better half of the ad doctor. And so there will not be, just for clarification, there will not be a lot of housewives showing up at this year's <laughs> summit. But it is oftentimes an opportunity to get to meet our other halves from the Do You Convert team. And Lindsay is going to be there. Currently, 
while we certainly will have a uh, cocktail reception, there is no theme planned in terms of dress up. There is a theme that will be revealed soon, but there is nothing to shop for. We're going to try to do the work for you this time. And I think that's Ooh. all I'm going to say about that for now. But it's going to be very current with the locale that we are in. But you can just save save Andrew's money. No need to buy anything uh, <laughs> at this point. At this point. <laughs> but we'll, we'll make sure you have a good time. All right. Let's, uh, let's kick it over to the news. And we're going to kick off with a little shameless promotion slash plug. I don't know. But, you know, about a month or so ago the socials lit up with lots of excited to speak uh, at the builder show. And we like to make sure to give NAHB a full month to determine if they want to revoke our invitations or not before <laughs> we start promoting it. I'm just kidding. But you never, you know, we just, we never want to assume that, that it's taken there. Like, wait, wait, we, we, we approved two to talk about what now? And so this year, the Deconvert team does have four different sessions. You can go to deconvert.com slash events to see three of them. The fourth one, the time slot's still being worked out for Andrew's session at uh, Tech Bytes. That'll be up on the site shortly. But uh, I'll be part of the Clash of the Titans uh, Season 3. That's the uh, mock debate format where we talk about the hottest topics. And I think this year we're going to dig in and, and might be a little bit less mock and more real fighting. I don't know. We'll Ooh. see. Jen's going to talk about a buyer's journey from online lead to online sale. And I'll also be doing a session on pre-sale without fail. The first time, uh, a lot of people were like, really? You've never talked about that before? I have never talked about pre-sale without fail in a full hour session outside of our own summits in the past. Oh. So, And then Andrew will be talking about some super nerdy stuff at Tech Bytes related to paid search and analytics. So he's he last last year was uh, how to fix a broken community, and it was was well received. But he's like this year, Kevin. I want to go back to my people, the super <laughs> nerds. So he's going to dive in, dive in there. You can uh, see all of that and other events as they come about at doconvert.com/events. Okay, the first real article comes from Marketing Land. And the headline is almost 70% of digital ad spend going to Google, Facebook, and Amazon. Um, yes. That's according to eMarketer. And there's a little graphic in there from eMarketer that I think is interesting to break down. You can certainly yeah. check out the link in the show notes, but it breaks it down into the following categories. D percentage of digital ad spend and then percentage of social ad spend. Yeah. And then percentage of mobile ad spend. So... It's got these three different major categories, and I, I don't really know what to make of it. But in the digital ad spend only, Google has a lead of 37% compared to Facebook's 22. Is that like display ads? I think it's paid search and display. Okay. I think it's All a combination right. of both, but that's a good qualifier. To get the data from eMarketer currently, you have to be a professional subscriber, which we are not. Mm. So. Okay. Just have to take what Marketing Land gives us here for now. But digital <laughs> ad spend, Google's winning 37 to 22. Amazon's in third place with 8.8%. Which, in that case, perhaps they do consider display. Like, all of social is display. So that's where I'm... Like, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But maybe they're using the right-hand side? Or, yeah, that's true. Other metrics, uh, you know, so I often see Facebook ads being served to me in a in an app like USA Today on my phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. In a, in a display format. So that could certainly be. Now, when it comes to social ad spend, though, and you add that category, it's 83% Facebook, Ooh. Instagram. No one else is there. So <laughs> that, that does leave the question from this this fun little table of where is that other percentage used if not there i guess snapchat been, and twitter but they don't they don't show it yeah and then or mobile ad spending eaten by the internet <laughs> yeah eaten by the internet <laughs> Mo mobile ad spending is 33% in favor of google uh 30% facebook and 5% amazon so this chart would lead you to believe that google is overall still leading the charge in terms of total ad spending and i thought that was interesting Again, I don't know how they would combine the 83% social, right? So maybe because yeah. Facebook has such a big lead there, they, they just don't break out the numbers the way I'd like to see them. So what I did for you and I, Becca, is I went back 
And I looked at last month, July in 2017 and what percentage of all the builders we work with, their spend was split between Facebook and, and Google. And in July of 2017, the split was 45% Facebook and Instagram and Google, both search and display 55%. So Google had a lead there. And I was actually surprised going back to 2017, which seems like so long ago yeah, that uh, the ratio was that close. I thought it was going to be more like 30% Facebook Really? back then. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I'm not, ask my wife. I'm not great when it comes to time related questions like that. And then flash forward to July of this year, 2019, Facebook and Instagram accounted for 54% yeah. of the ad spend and Google dropped to 46. That's pretty so, interesting that they flipped. Yeah. And I think it's going to continue that trend. A lot of the builders that we work with over the past couple months as they have tiptoed their budgets higher on Facebook and Instagram and are seeing better and better and better results in terms of foot traffic, phone calls, and leads, they're continuing to shift greater in that direction. And just for some context, right, this is in a one month, a little over million dollar in ad spend. So like 1.1, 1.2 million in ad spend. So the numbers are not like they didn't change because the ad spend is so small. I mean, that's that's still a lot of money in a month in total to be directing. So I think in today's world, you can definitely crown Facebook and Instagram as the number one kind of in the driver's seat when it comes to digital ad spend for home builders. I agree for the most part. And that's again, not just based on how it's being spent, but the results that we're seeing. So that made this next article even more interesting. And, And I've had several people ask me about this and also in terms of how it works. And then for a few folks who have data working on it, they want to know kind of more how it works. So let's let's cut to it. It's uh, mm-hmm. Google store visit data, which is in beta. And you find that data underneath conversions and analytics. And then right below goals, if you have this available, it will stay, say store visits and it's in beta. Now there, this article is from Seer Interactive, S-E-E-R, interactive.com. And the title is The Together Offline and Online Engagement with Store Visits in Google Analytics. And there's kind of three broad pieces of requirements in order to get this data to flow in, which is supposed to be showing you how many people are making actual visits to your model home or retail location, and then what source they use to go on your website before that visit occurred. So we'll break this down here as painlessly as possible for you. (laughs) General requirements are that you're using Google Analytics, Google Ads, and a Google My Business account. And the the GMB part, the Google My Business, is important here. You have to have multiple physical store locations and have high volumes of store visits in order to get the attribution data. The reason the high volume is required and why this isn't available for everyone is they really, really, really do not slash will not let you get this to the point of personally identifiable information. That means I can tell that Becca went to my model home and I know where Becca came from, what sources she used and how she got my CRM. Again, no one wants that level of of privacy lost right now or or the perception that they're giving away that much private information. That's good. I was just going to say, it's a great way to protect your privacy. Yeah. But it does mean that not everyone's going to be eligible for this to even be in their account. Um, So what they're saying basically is 100 store visits in a 30-day period is kind of the minimum. So if you don't think you're getting Mm -hmm. 100 pieces of foot traffic uh, in a location or or overall among locations, don't really make that clear, this won't be there. The other requirement is you have to activate Google Signals within Google Analytics. Now, um, that's a setting that you can turn on. And what Google signals is just the the rebranding, renaming of their cross-device tracking. And so what that does is um, it lets advertisers track Kevin Oakley or Becca across our laptop, desktop, and phone as it uses different Google signal data to figure out those relationships. But we have to have opted into it. Yes. Uh, Not the user, 
the advertiser. Yeah. Okay. The advertiser has to, because basically what you're doing is you're giving Google the ability to look at all the data in your accounts to make those relationship connections between devices and users. Okay. And some companies, especially European companies with GDPR, may not want to turn that on. So they give that option to the advertiser. And then you have to have 90% of your linked locations verified in Google My Business to a Google ad. Okay. So the Google My Business is an important part because I think this, this whole thing, we've talked about the requirements to it, and now we're going to talk about kind of what the data looks like and how it works and why I think this is a renewed push by Google to get back into the number one spot when it comes to online advertising. Because Google was originally the king of first-click attribution. If you're shopping for a new DSLR camera and you type in those words and you click on the link, then you went to the website and not too long ago, no one else cared about much else. It was like, great, I got all this traffic around this keyword and I will pay Google a ton of money to own that keyword or keywords because I just, I want to win. And we didn't even know necessarily call it first click attribution. That's just, but that is what it was. It was just an initial click, a visit to the site. Mm -hmm. And now I think they're trying to become the king of the last click attribution in a sense. And this might just be semantics or might be people listening who would say what I, what I just described was also last click. And that's true too. But I think this is last click in a different way, meaning we have a couple of our builders who have this turned on and running. And I'm looking at one now. It's a regional builder. And they do have store visit data. And what it shows you in here is the channel that they used prior to coming in for that store visit. Just the last one. Okay. Okay, so before Becca comes to my model home, she clicks on a Facebook ad, goes to the website, and then she shows up. And she also would have, at some point in that journey, had to have clicked on a Google ad display or paid uh, search in order to be in the system. But the last one prior to. So when you, when you do that methodology, what this builder is showing over the last 60 days is some interesting stuff. So they had over 200,000 unique users and they had a store visit rate of 3.25%. Okay. Pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> now, Google's numbers for other retail says that oftentimes it's between th- as high as 6%. But when you consider that most home builders really are still scratching to get a 1% conversion on yeah. website traffic to an online lead, getting a 3% conversion to foot traffic seems amazing as a number. And also doesn't like, seem to jive with what people report in terms of foot traffic. I mean, like most people are saying foot traffic is, is lower than it was in years prior, but this builder's user count is, is probably three times what it was four years ago, but their foot traffic is way down. So I just think that's, hmm. it's interesting hmm. in terms of the channels that it says these people were on before their visit, 53% organic, 16% direct 14% paid search, 10% social media and 2% syndication, Zillow, Hmm. BDX, realtor.com, et cetera. That's really interesting. Yeah. But when you think about the behavior you might do online prior to visiting a store and you think about the fact that I said, Google, my business is a key element here. Okay. What type of activity are you likely to do hours before you visit a retail location or model home? What are, you, what are you going to go online and look for? Those products that I want to buy, see what the prices are all over. And then when I find the best price, I would buy it. Yep. Or you also might be looking in terms of the Google My Business data, where specifically is that model home located? What are the oh, hours yeah, yeah. in Google My Business? Right. So yeah. like it's, to me, it's not as surprising when you consider that they're saying 53% of all of the site visits that they've tracked came from an organic search right before they visited the store. Kind of makes sense, right? In fact, you yeah. could almost say it's surprising it's not even higher. When you add direct and organic together, then you're almost to 70% of all searches or, or all, all website visits before store visits. So again, I think this is... Um, An interesting way for Google to start to claim more and more credit saying, even if it's not from a paid search ad, look how much value we provide you business owner from an organic perspective. 
I just think it's interesting and that it might be an end around way for Google to, to try to maintain relevance at the end of the day. Now, last part of this, because I know this, we've gotten a little bit technical, but the other interesting thing here is remember, this is in beta. And so what it's supposed to show you besides just the channel is what physical location were you in when you use that channel to go on the, on the website. And when we click on locations for this builder I'm looking at, you start to question how accurate this is. So it's showing that this builder who, let's just say they build in the Midwest mostly, it's showing 441 of their website, of their model home visits that were tracked came from people who were using the internet in Canada prior to visiting the model home. Oh. 806 from India, 409 from the United Kingdom, 137 from Brazil, 172 from Germany, 127 from Japan, and 176 from Mexico. So hmm. I don't think those numbers are accurate at no. all. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's now, it your 3% it, right there. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't right. It doesn't tell us what the what the lag time was from when they were on the builder's site to visiting the store. It just says, again, they came from this channel and they were in this physical location or their device was in this location. Does it mean that they've actually physically walked into the store or that they just happened to be in the same vicinity of the store? Good question. It does mean as much as Google can verify that they were in the store. And so they're okay. not just looking at, you know, did you drive by or were you close? But how much time did your device stay there for? It uses other things like strength of Wi-Fi signals that were hitting your device, potentially pretty intricate details that they're looking That's at cool. to try to make their algorithm as smart as possible. But obviously looking at this, it has a long way to go. Yeah. Anyway, that's all for now. We'll talk more about how you could combine the store visit data, though, with DOOR, that thermal imaging camera we talked about, Ooh. as well as digital iPad or other registration pieces. I think that's the trinity of data that you need to really hone in on a most usable, most reliable number uh, in terms of walk-in traffic when you combine all three of those together. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a future episode. All right, that'll do it for this week's news and story time. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be uh, visited with Kevin Weitzel from Outhouse. And he's going to talk to us about online content challenges, solutions, and advice. We'll be right back. And we're back with Kevin Weitzel, the business development manager from Outhouse, to talk about content challenges, solutions, and more. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. First things first, we got to talk about the two most important things. One is you have some of the most remarkable facial hair of anyone in our industry. It's often <laughs> jokingly suggested that to work at Do You Convert, you must have a beard. You don't have, well, what do you have? And then tell us kind of the backstory there. Well, I served eight years in the United States Marine Corps. And when I got out, I decided I was not going to shave anymore. So I okay. played around with facial hair and just over time, just really kind of settled on mutton chops. So I shaved them off from time to time. My mother uh, actually basically begged me to shave at least one day a year. So she calls <laughs> it not being a dirt bag. So I do, <laughs> I do shave at least one day out of the year to make my mom happy. But for the most part, I walk around with sideburns most of the time. I love it. Okay, That's so we got we got one done, and thank you again for your service to the country. In fact, you and I traded messages. Uh, you spent a lot of time in third world countries doing different work, right? Tons, actually. I I was awarded in the White House by H. W. Bush the humanitarian medal for our work that we did down in Africa. However, being a scout sniper, garrison sniper, obviously a lot of the work that we did was not very much humanitarian. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but when, we were, when we were out on the various engagements, we did, you know, interact with communities and, you know, uh, feed communities, help them build structures, you know, the whole works. But yeah, I spent a year and a half in Africa and uh, out of my eight years, probably only about a year and a half of it was spent in the United States. Wow. Wow. Okay, so that that was the first one I wanted to get out right away. And then the second one is the name of the company that you work for is called Outhouse. And we've had this conversation in person, I think at Sales Central. We were waiting in line for the amazing free lunch uh, <laughs> that they had there. But tell everyone the theory behind the name. 
So we do have a lot of fun with it, and, and that's intentional. We, we're a fun workplace. Uh, we we right. believe in work-life balance, the whole works. And really what it comes down to is Outhouse is an outsources services company for the production home building world. Basically, outsourcing the work that you don't want to have to hire in to a consistent output production team. Our unofficial tagline is bring your crap work to us. You know, the stuff that you don't the stuff that you don't want to do in-house or don't want to hire and then have to get rid of somebody once that surge is done. Mm-hmm. But we do everything from drafting to rendering to interactive platforms to full-on marketing press. We have a full commercial press room where we can create marketing collateral for builders as well. So pretty much everything from the point of wanting to swing hammers and also needing to market the product. We do all of that content for websites. Wow. So I knew all of that except for the drafting part caught me off guard. So what does that mean? That's actually our largest department is our drafting department. Hmm, We actually can do everything from redline revisions. So if a builder needs to stay on on track and they just want to Mm -hmm. not overburden their staff, they can actually just send us, you know, drafting redlines to do. And we'll do that in within their standards. So, you know, one of our, our claims to fame is that the builder won't know whether their team did it or our team did it because everything will match. Mm-hmm. And then we also do full plan management to where we have builders to, to where we man- manage literally all of their plans from tip to tail from that design phase all the way through to construction documents. Okay, so I already I'm seeing the theme emerge here of Outhouse is a company that, that likes to have a little bit of fun. I know you're someone who loves uh, good humor and ha- having good conversations. So I think we should approach our time together as kind of like an extended story time segment. Sure. And knowing the breadth of services that Outhouse offers, including drafting, which is which is amazing. I, you know, one of the biggest things we battle, it's not even budget because, you know, budget is, is everybody battles with budget. But what we battle with is is good enough. You know, what a builder thinks is good enough to get the job done. You know, is the is hiring somebody that works out of their home to draft plans good enough versus mm-hmm. having a professional company that's all they do and they have to put their butt on the line every single day? Or uh, do we stick with this guy that works out of his home and, you know, maybe can knock the stuff out and we may overtax them and the consistency may not be there? Those are the kind of things we see. Or just because you draft in Revit, it produces like a, a good enough rendering. That's not something right. you represent your product to your buyers with. You want a good either professional photograph or 3D visualization of it, not just a kind of cookie cutter, chunky. Yeah, the, the Revit image. kind of default export of any of those 3D programs kind of reminds me of uh, my youngest child is four. Those kits that you buy that have like the watercolor built into the page and like you add water down at the bottom (laughs) and then you just like if you could auto fill different areas with a solid block of color i mean it tells you there's a door and a window there but if you're trying to sell anything beyond like we will keep you dry and offer a way to get in and out It, it may not be creating the best perspective. So I, I get that for sure. Yeah, I mean, we definitely feel that, you know, it's, it's just, we understand the whole concept of good enough of, you know, yes, it's good enough to get it out there, to get something out there. But do you really want that to be what you represent your company with? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's good enough for a rendering, is it good enough for the alignment of a wall or the plumb of a wall? Is it good enough for the materials that are selected? Is it good enough for, you know, the mix of the foundation we're going to create for your home? You know, where else are we having shortcomings? So those are philosophically things that you have to consider when you're building a home. And I imagine it's also, like you said, uh, just kind of circling back around on this, good enough for the consumer or good enough from the builder's perspective? Well, I think that from a planning standpoint, you hit it the nail on the head. It is good enough for a builder for them to plan what they want to roll out. But that's definitely not the same thing they should be rolling out to, you know, as a customer facing representation of what they're trying to sell. Any crazy, silly examples of that that you've seen in your three years with, with Outhouse so far? You know, the one I see on a regular basis is where they'll have just those, you know, I, I don't like to use the term garbage, but the garbage, uh, you know, auto-produced renderings, and they'll put those out on their website. And then they'll have, they'll put, the same builder will go out and hire or put out for a bid to have one rendering done, just, you know, quality rendering. And then they're like, well, uh-huh. that looks really good. Let's put it on the website. So they'll have this one really good rendering next to black and white, you know, 
2D drawings mm. next to the Revit produced or the Chief Architect produced, you know, substandard versions. And this whole mix, and we see that more often than we should. It, you know, consistency is king. When you have a builder that has all those different styles, it really looks discombobulated and very disjointed from a storyline that they should be telling. You know, we have, uh, there's a builder down in Texas that has, they're a top 100 builder in the United States, and they just use 2D black and white stick drawings. <laughs> it, and it blows my mind. From, from a guy that sells these services, it blows my mind that they never want to upgrade, but they don't need to. And for a couple of reasons. One, they're in the right dirt. They bought the right dirt, and they're flipping houses faster than you can, than you can uh, build them. So if they've got a waiting list, why change anything? That's another thing I battle against. You know, is you know if if we're selling things and why spend any more money to further? Yeah, I'll never remember. Gus Gillespie was the um, founder of Heartland Homes. I worked most of my time there with the president, who was his son Marty. But Gus, every time we would sell out a, a new community, if we'd sell you know fifteen homes in the first day all of a sudden the plans for the entry monument were scaled back. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't need to spend $20,000 on an entry feature. Like, look, it's already selling. There's nothing, there's nothing out there at all right now. Like, heck, we don't need one at all. We, they should be happy that we're going to give them. And, and it wasn't right. to that extreme. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that was always a constant battle. And one of the things that I learned through my career was that the really good managers and owners do have their perspective of that Texas builder might have the right dirt and the black and white might be selling good enough, but could they get another half a percent margin without loss of sales velocity if everything else was lined up well? And, and obviously they have to do the cost benefit analysis, but just because current results are good, you always have to wonder, are you investing in tomorrow's customer? who might not like that dirt quite so much too. Exactly. I love quoting John Burns. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a ton of respect for that guy. He uh -huh. has this quote that I believe is 100% brilliant. He says, if you're still doing business the way you did it 10 years ago today, you won't be relevant or even in business 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's no more true. I think it's more true now than what it was even 10 years ago. Because of how rapidly the industry is changing. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely increasing faster than it ever has. Absolutely. So I actually come from the motorcycle industry as well and bicycle. I actually started in bicycles and I went to motorcycles, worked in the Harley world and BMW world. And one thing that I kept seeing was that they had this formula that they followed year after year after year, every season. It was the same promotions, the same sales, same everything. And it worked. And they keep doing things that same way. Well, in the home building industry, we kind of get stuck into keep doing the same old thing. And I think that if you eliminate the good enough and you stick with that consistency and you have that storyline, you have to look at is the market changing and do can we still get away with doing things the same way? And I think that a lot of these builders are finding out that they can't. Yep. I think the other thing that's always got to be in the consideration set is how fast could you flip that switch if you do see the world changing around you and while a lot of what you do in terms of renderings and, and materials might be able to be swapped out, there's, and you generally the, the reputation of outhouses is that you guys do those things quickly uh, from what I hear, but still it's not instant. And so if you, the right. bigger you are, the more successful you may be currently turning the Titanic is never a quick thing. Even if you have partners who are able to be nimble, you know, and so can you afford to wait? What, what is that? length of time and the pain that you're going to go through until it can be converted. Correct. Yeah, the, it, it really comes down to, uh, yes, we have the ability to turn things around very fast. We can do, you know, 10 building plans uh, in six to eight weeks as far as a full set of plans turn around, engineered, the whole works. We can create all the marketing collateral in less than two weeks. We typically will be faster than what a website company could be even revamping an entire website. So we could have all the collateral ready for them to put or the assets ready for them to put into the website, the new website experience. Oh, nice. So let me just, so you're talking about if someone's going through the development process, yep. kind of in sync with that, if they start with you around the same time, there's, they're doing a redesign or, or a rebuild, you'll, you'll be able to help them make sure that when the new shell is ready, the stuff to go in it is ready too. That's, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. We've never been beaten by a website builder as far as uh, turnaround time. They right, always yeah. take more time to develop the page. You know, a quality website page. I'm not talking about Wix right. or just a quick little template <laughs> fill. Yeah, Squarespace. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm talking about, you know, a well-thought-out, well-planned website. We can always have the assets ready to rock and roll so that development team can implement everything and have it visually ready to rock and roll when the builder wants it ready. Awesome. So. Very cool. So, Kevin. Yes, sir. Quick question. Hopefully, this is a, a quick question. You guys offer everything, and so it sounds like <laughs> you probably have some really cool stories where you can kind of use multiple services and, and innovative solutions to solve a challenging fun problem do you have a story that can that can fit that i can tell you when we found a problem that a builder was having and they mm -hmm. realized it when they were asking for something that they wanted us to develop for them which we had already had developed we just didn't roll it out but they wanted to have where when they hand out a floor plan to their clients to where they could point their phone at it and see that floor plan in 3d you know, an augmented mm. reality. And mm -hmm. we developed that. It's been, I think, about a year and a half, two years old now. But I just jokingly mentioned, again, coming from the motorcycle side and saying things and blurting out things that I probably shouldn't. But I jokingly <laughs> said, why are you wanting to spend money on having this augmented reality to educate the customer, to show them this new product when they're standing in your sales office? And then I, I basically blurted out, just sell them the damn house. Hmm. And he kind of gave me a look and went, and I'm thinking I'm about to get fired. I'm about to get thrown <laughs> out of this, this meeting. And he looks at me and says, yeah. you know what? You're right. He goes, uh, why are we wanting to spend money on that? So we actually help them avoid spending money in a realm. And it, granted, don't get me wrong. The technology is super cool to be able to see that floor plan in 3D. And you can even uh -huh, point mm -hmm. at the land where you want to have it. And it shows up great. But you had to get that. You had to educate the client to download the app. You had to, you already had them there. So you had to hand them a piece of paper that shows them their floor mm -hmm. plan. And mm -hmm. now you've spent the money on something even more wow factor when you should just be selling the actual plan itself. I like that. So yesterday I installed a, it's a August door lock on our front door. And I think this is just the, the application of technology can sometimes actually be not a positive thing. So this was like the third edition of this and I, they finally got it right. I had a previous edition and it was buggy, didn't work well. You get home and you're supposed to, it, it detects you with Bluetooth and it unlocks the door for you. Sweet. Never did that before. So this new one, it finally works. But previously I'm like, I could just open the dang door with the key. I don't know. Like, what? Yeah. This is so use, useless. And so I think, yeah, the proper application of, of the tech where it's what? not a hindrance or it's not a, a uh, roadblock in the way. Well, not only not a roadblock, but an added expense that you don't need to have because you're already past that hurdle of getting them in the office. You know, marketing is about getting people in the seats. Once they're in the seats, why are you spending wanting to spend more money when you don't need to? When you should be spending money on their experience and and maybe streamlining the sales process or streamlining the finance process, you know, so they can get in yeah. their home. Or or using trying to find ways to use that technology after they leave your presence, right? As additional follow-up of, hey, now you've right. unlocked this thing that if you choose to go use, it's there or pre-visualization. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing I always hear from salespeople still today is cars are driving down the street, cars all day long. They just will never stop. And and there's lots <laughs> of reasons for that that we don't have time to go into right. today. But that that could, if that is a reality, which I'm skeptical that Right. Uh, that it is reality that, you know, there, there yeah, might no, be other it, better times to apply that technology than in the sales office. I would agree with that. Well, I'll tell you another another uh, common mistake that uh, I usually like to educate our, our builders on when it comes down to best practices is implementation, you know, proper Im implementation. If you spend the money to put interactive floor plans and, and to activate them, number one, do your due diligence. Make sure the interactive floor plans will work on mobile devices. You know, right. it blows my mind when somebody spends the money for an interactive floor plan and, you know, 70% of their first time reaches are on a mobile device and yeah. your content doesn't work on a mobile phone. That's crazy. Or they have it so hard to find on their website that you have to play a game of Where's Waldo just to find that content. That's, mm -hmm. that's another common mistake that we see on a, on a pretty regular basis, even with our mm -hmm. own customers. You know, mm -hmm. we can sell them an IFP, an interactive floor plan. They'll put it on their website, but they hide it under so many layers that it's like, well, no wonder you're not getting any any action on this thing yeah. because nobody can find it. Yep, exactly right. And that that is not that you, in your example of the AR floor plan, you don't want to distract from the process, but part of the sales process today 
can be educating the customer on all the other ways and things they can see, right? So there's lots of ways to attack that problem, I guess is what I'm saying is you can make it more visible on your site, easier to get access to. I'm a big fan of having videos that explain how to use something like that because a lot of people click on it. They're like, oh, this is interesting. And they don't realize or notice that they can drag the furniture over and play around or whatever. And so using Mm -hmm. other more approachable technology that people are used to, like a video, Hey, welcome to your first time viewing an IFP <laughs> to use your language. Here's how they work. Here's all that you can do with right. them. And and sometimes salespeople do have to bridge that gap in person too of, you know, did you know you could do this on our website uh, to, to try Absolutely. to help? Absolutely. And then buy-in. How often do you see a builder that spends the money to have an interactive sales kiosk, a touchscreen in their sales office, and then the sales team doesn't use it? They still want to go back to the old way of scribbling down notes on a, on a floor plan brochure, handing that to the customer with their business card, and hope they'll come back yep. when they could be educating them on the entire process on their interactive sales kiosk, and then wowing them, adding that level of excitement. Yeah, I, I can't... I know there's a much better quote that I've heard or read somewhere, but but when you as a marketer you solve the sales team's problems that they're not asking you to solve. I mean, there's a certain part of of insanity there. You've got to listen to what they're asking for, listen to what management is asking for, most of all, listen to what the customer is asking for, and try to find alignment in those things and help people understand that there's different sides of the same coin often. And it might not be exactly what you asked for sales team, but it's heading in the same direction and, and get that buy-in. You're right. That is, that is huge. Absolutely. That's huge. Absolutely. Okay, Kevin, what else, what kind of common mistakes or things that you see builders ignoring when it comes to content that, that you think they should be paying attention to? Well, in today's day and age with, you know, Google analytics is, is, is uh, well serving as they are. It, it's a, giant mistake when people and builders especially do not use that data to their advantage. When you have, let's say you have three elevations of a plan, you have an A, a B, and a C, and you're showing your A as your primary, but analytics show that people are really digging C. You know, that's an indicator that you need to swap those images around. Your C needs to be your primary image, and then the A and the B now need to be your secondary images. And when you have that data that says that that's what people are interested in, bring that to the front line. And, you know, use a Google Analytics to your advantage instead of just having it be some arbitrary report that maybe marketing might look at. You know, use that to your advantage for sure. So I've got a couple of things that I just want to leave everybody with is, one, don't be afraid to tell your boss that he's wrong. If you're working for a company and your boss loves these old-timey, you know, sketchy-looking rendering styles, those are out. They've been out for over 10 years. So don't be afraid to let them know that, hey, that's a mistake, boss. You really need 3D. You need, you know, proper photo grade renderings or actual photos of your property instead. Two, don't be afraid to make a mistake. You know, get out there, learn what all the, you know, even my competitors, learn what we have to offer and mm-hmm. find out what best suits your narrative and how you want to show showcase your product. And just don't be afraid of change because if you're afraid of change, you're never going to evolve. And then of course, budget. I hear it all the time about, oh, well, I don't know if that's going to be in the budget. Trust me, if you can't afford a $200 rendering for a plan, the budget is not your problem. The budget, <laughs> that, that is such a small <laughs> amount of money. Your problems are far exceeding that if, if $200, $300 is going to be too much of a budget uh, buster. I agree. Uh, so definitely stay within the ranks of what you need and properly budget for it. For sure. I love it. I love it. Cool. Well, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate your time. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. See you guys. See you. Bye. Thanks again to Kevin for stopping by. Not only does he have a great first name, but he's, he's just a a fun guy to get to know. Uh, just, just a unique sense of humor very insightful and been very impressed with a lot of the work that he's shown me that he's done for builders around the country. And again, I just can't believe that they do architectural work, like true architectural work on top of everything else. All right. This week's new question of the week comes or was inspired by a blog post that Thais wrote um, right before the 4th of July, uh, the Do You Convert Summer Reading List, uh, books including Atomic Habits, Digital Minimalism, Extreme Ownership, Range, Win by Daniel Pink and What Customers Crave were on our list. 
You can go check out that full list along with links to the books at doyouconvert.com. But it inspired a question of the week for this week, which is, what is your favorite nonfiction book on any topic, it doesn't have to be related to marketing, that you've read in the past year? Your favorite nonfiction book on any topic that you've read in the past year? Mine from uh, that article, although I like a lot of those, was Range by David Epstein. And it talks about why generalists, people who know a lot or a little about a lot in today's world often end up in leadership positions or have uh, greater success than specialists at times because of their ability to see how things work with each other, where specialists sometimes get ultra-focused and, and can't pull from different silos and areas of expertise in the same way. We, it's a lot of times we hire specialists to get things done, but a lot of times uh, leaders and those who are very successful themselves end up being generalists. Just a different concept. We kind of like that Leonardo da Vinci type idea, right? This guy who could dabble a little bit in a lot of different areas. So yeah, let us know. What was your favorite nonfiction book in the last year or so? We'll pick a couple winners for a prize. Maybe, uh, yeah, let's just do a, uh, an Amazon gift card so you can buy some more books. Sounds good. Oh, sounds good. And uh, that'll do it for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more. Check out deconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and anywhere else we are online. Looking forward to seeing you all at the summit. Still sign up for the waitlist. No reason not to, but we are like completely crammed. Like fire marshal will not allow anymore. <laughs> so it's super hard. It's sad to tell people. It's just not looking good. Oh, yeah. But it's it's just not looking good at this point. <laughs> so so we just want to make sure <laughs> we uh, we give everyone the best experience possible. All right guys, have a good week. We'll see you next time.